Hey, welcome. <laughs> Some static. There you go. This is my teeth need attention. Thanks for tuning in. I'll turn that down. <clears throat> this episode, we're going to speak with Mary Lattimore, a great harpist, all-around musician. Um, at one point, Rochester resident, so that's how I met her. We're going to talk about her uh, her upbringing, uh, how she got into harp, her schooling, and then how she transitioned into um, collaborations and improvisation and uh, kind of, quote, rock world. So uh, I want to thank uh, Mary for giving me the time. We had a great time talking. We haven't seen each other in a long time. Uh, so it was great catching up, and I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to start things off with a track from her... Uh, record um, <clears throat> at the dam and I'm going to play a track called the quiet at night then we'll get into the interview and then I'm going to play a bunch of tracks from her after that as well uh, this record uh, was on uh, ghostly international came out in uh, 2016 all right let's get to the music and then we'll get to the interview and I'll see you on the other side
So, uh, yeah, I want to welcome you to the podcast. It's called uh, My Teeth Need Attention. Mm-hmm. I'm here with uh, Mary Lattimore. Hello, Mary. Hi. Uh, Mary is a harpist. Mm-hmm. Has been playing harp for how long now? Forever? Yeah, since I was 11. Yeah. Most of my life, yeah. So, yeah, so how did you, how do you get into the harp? I mean, that's not an easy instrument to get into, right? Right. Well, I don't know. I was sort of forced to in the beginning. My mom is a harpist. Oh, okay. So she, um, you know, I'm the firstborn child and mom, um, my mom is very, very in love with the harp. You know, she's a professional harpist. She, she's played with orchestras for a long time and gigs all the time and teaches and stuff. And she's just like a, an advocate for the instrument. Um, teaches a ton of kids and adults. And so it was just kind of natural for her to want me to play the harp. Um, And so I started off with piano when I was five, but after that, uh, when I was 11, she's like, okay, it's time for you to start the harp. So uh, yeah, I didn't love it at first, but I started to love it the better I got at it, you know? Yeah, it's it's a difficult instrument to learn, right? difficult yeah Yeah. piano really helps like as a foundation because it's kind of the same scale same layout as the piano so that really helps left and right hand kind of thing right okay so when you like uh at school when you were taking music classes that wasn't an option though right did you play something else or did you play harp oh i played i always played the harp like in high school um I was a member of the Charlotte Youth Symphony because I grew up in North Carolina um, and we lived in a little town, a small town when I was in high school. And um, it was the closest city was Charlotte. And so I took lessons in Charlotte and I didn't take lessons from my mom because that would have caused a lot of friction. (laughs) Um, So I took from a friend of hers in Charlotte and, uh, and I played with the Charlotte Youth Symphony, but then also my high school in Shelby, North Carolina had an orchestra. And so I, I played the harp with the orchestra too. So, okay. um, yeah, there, there was like musical opportunities at my high school, even though it was pretty small. Yeah. I was just talking to Bill McKay. I don't know if you know Bill. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bill, yeah. yeah. So I don't know if you know, but he grew up in Rochester for a short, uh, for a chunk of his childhood. I had no um, idea. Yeah. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't make, meet him back then. He's been in Chicago for like 20 years and, um, but I was asking him cause he started playing guitar at a really young age. And you know, when you get to school, that's not an instrument you could pick. You, right. right. you like, you really don't get to play that until like probably when you're introduced to a jazz band and like maybe middle school or high school and mm-hmm. the teacher finds out you play. So they're like, Hey, you could play that in a jazz band. Right. Uh-huh. But it's not an instrument you take at class. So right. I always wonder about that. I know it's difficult for a school to offer, you know, every instrument, but yeah. Um, it's kind of weird because I've, I've had some, my daughter has some friends who played, you know, even piano. Mm-hmm. Piano's not part of right. the school orchestra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. start playing in jazz band. So. Mm-hmm. Or you just have to learn it like separately, privately from somebody in school or like, I mean, I guess with guitar, you can like, you can be in a band and kind of learn as you go. Or like now I feel like you can learn a lot from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know? So there's a lot of options for learning it, I guess, if you're motivated. For me, it was more like, oh my gosh, do I have to? Do I have to um, 
because harp is also sort of a weird instrument. So it really made me stand out in a way and I didn't like that at first, but um, in the end, it was really cool. But, it's working out. Yeah, it's working out. <laughs> <laughs> so how did, you, uh, how did you end up in Rochester? Uh, was that for Eastman School of Music, right? And was that yeah. undergrad for you? Yeah, it was undergrad. Okay. And I had, um, when I came to, uh, well, I, um, it was funny because like I always dreamed of getting out of North Carolina to go to school, but I, ha I got into some North Carolina schools that were good and I knew the harp teachers there and stuff, but, but Eastman was always my, my unachieved, my dream that I thought was like, you know, not achievable because the audition repertoire was really hard. And I just didn't have enough time to learn all that really hard music. And I thought it was really out of my league. But um, so I didn't apply. Uh, but then the harp teacher for Miesman, Miss Bride, Kathleen Bride, uh, she's, you know, she's one of the best harp teachers in the world, I think. Um, and she came to do a master class in Charlotte. And I took a lesson from her. And she somehow saw something in me that she, she thought would be a good fit at Eastman. And so even though I didn't know the repertoire, she's like, why don't we have a lesson up in Rochester? I'll show you around Eastman and we'll figure out some kind of scholarship situation if you feel like it would be a good match for you. And so I went up to Rochester by myself when I was in high school, you know, at the, um, I guess I was like a junior, senior, a senior, I guess. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever been on a plane by myself or, ridden in a taxi, you know, and I went up there and um, the other, the girls in the harp studio were really cool to me. You know, I was just a, like a high school kid and they were very uh, welcoming to me. And I remember like one of the girls in my studio was like, here's a beer, you know, <laughs> this is fun already. You know, being in this, it felt like a big city. It was like the biggest city I guess I had been to Paris with my French club in high school, but before that, but it was, it was the biggest city that I had ever really spent much time in after that. Um, and so, you know, just being downtown and stuff felt very exciting and taking this lesson with Miss Bride and feeling welcomed in the harp studio. So I thought that that was where I was supposed to be, you know, it yeah. felt like that's where I was supposed to come. And so, I did. I left Shelby and went to Rochester and uh, yeah, just jumped in. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great how the school is downtown and not, you know, the main U of R campus isn't downtown. So it's not, you know, you're not integrated in the city. And yeah. I went to, I came here for RET and RET is like way out in the, you know, Southern suburb and Henrietta and that, you know, you just isolate it. Um, yeah. So it's kind of good that, you know, and I, I like it because uh, when I go down, uh, you know, around Eastman, you see all the Eastman kids and it's a little more vibrant, you know, and mm -hmm. um, you get some interactions, at least with the, you know, the town folk, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and some music, you know, it's, <clears throat> I don't know when you were here, I'm not sure much was going like I had friends uh, who went there before you were in town. Uh, mm -hmm. So like early nineties mm -hmm. and uh, there was very little crossover musically wise, like playing in bands and stuff like that between yeah. Eastman kids and non Eastman kids. And that's has seemed to break down and there's more interaction. So it's kind of neat. Awesome. Um, I was talking to Bill about this, uh, Wendy Eisenberg. I don't know if you know her, but 
she and uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brian, start playing. And Brian's a, you know, self-taught noise musician who plays gadgets. He yeah. doesn't play any traditional instrument. Mm-hmm. And she's just really great, amazingly trained guitar player. Yeah. Um, and, you know, what they came up with was really cool. So it was kind of neat to see that, you know, because there was kind of a barrier, I think, for a long time. But Definitely. What made what made Eastman like this pinnacle for you? Like, uh, d- did you know about that teacher beforehand or yeah. was it known for, uh, yeah, to be a great harp school? Yeah, it was oh, known okay. for a great harp school. And the teacher, Miss Bride, like she's still, you know, top, top harp teacher. Um, and yeah, it's, it's known for the harp program. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. And how does that work? Is there usually like slots, like they're accepting X number of harp kids a, a semester? Yeah, or, like two or something per yeah. year. Oh, There's man. In total. So, you know, that includes grad students. I think at least during my my time there, there were 10 slots not, or 10 total for all the years in the grad school too. So, um, yeah, it's selective. And, uh, yeah, it's hard. It's hard yeah. to do. During, uh, during high school and, like, and your years at Eastman, uh, what kind of music were you listening to? Were you primarily listening to, you know, classical and the stuff that you were playing? Were you listening to other stuff and seeing that, oh, maybe I can kind of integrate harp into that kind of realm? Not at the time. I was listening to, I was listening to some classical music, especially like harp centric music, like French impressionistic music and beautiful harp um, concerto stuff, you know, that stuff but then also I mean my favorite band of all time and still is is The Cure you know so it's like a sad gothy teen in Shelby North Carolina (laughs) um like a lot of British stuff and then also like my parents really loved um love like Springsteen and Joni Mitchell things like that um sort of more classic rock style I listen to some of that stuff and um what else I'm sure some embarrassing stuff too in high school and college but I think um so you know I spent the first two years in Rochester and then I really was feeling the pull to uh to meet people because at the time like I was only hanging out with Eastman students you know my first two years there and I just felt like I mean I was definitely the worst one at in the harp studio you know I didn't love to spend hours in the practice room I wasn't so devoted to theory and and a lot of things that were being taught as pretty bad student but I really love music and I do feel I did feel very connected to the harp but I just didn't like the competition I didn't like being compared to other students and stuff so I felt kind of frustrated at the end of the two years in Rochester um so then I I studied abroad in Milan and in Vienna for two the two semesters of my junior year and coming back from that experience was really uh, when I decided to you know hang out outside of Eastman when I got back from my senior year like I got a job at Fantastic I was working at Analog Shock. I got to know Justin. Um, 
and like Jason and Andy were my really close friends, you know, um, and I, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, not just be a one, one sided person, like a, just have one facet of my musical life satisfied, like it was classical music. So yeah, I was working at WRUR. Um, and so, yeah, I was listening to a bunch of different kinds of music and had a bunch of different musical experiences going to a lot of shows. And, and that's when like 9-11 happened, you know, I remember being at the bug jar and, um, on the 10th at midnight and celebrating my 21st birthday <laughs> at the bug jar it's arts and crafts night. And that's when I met Jason and Andy that night. And then the next day it was nine 11, my 21st birthday. And you know, you know how that was <laughs> it was horrible, but that kind of colored the whole final year that I was in Rochester too, of course. And, yeah, yeah. um, but yeah, I was, that's, I think that like meeting Justin and working at WRUR was also a big part of my musical education. Yeah. I think, yeah, I met you probably through Justin cause you were always hanging out at the store. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if I knew you worked there. I think it just hung out because <laughs> yeah. I, I hung out there all the time too. But. Yeah. 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 And you know, meeting like Otto there and Greg Weeks and yeah. Yeah. Just friends that I'll have for my lifetime you didn't play in any groups in town, right? No, you were just, it was kind of like hang out, <laughs> like bug jar yeah. hang out. Like you never played the bug jar back then or anything like no. that. There was no groups, no. right? I still okay. have never played the bug jar. I would love to. Really? Someday. They're yeah. almost, they're almost opening, reopening. Oh. <laughs> they're taking a while. Cause I think you they're remodeling. I, but. You know, I hang out with a lot, like relatively a lot is Jeff Root. Yeah. Yeah. They're super tight. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah, I still I keep in touch with him a little bit. Um, and we we knew each other, you know, through friends and I got to know him going to his backyard film things and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, they were a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so at one point you so I remember I ran into this is skipping. I had a, a billion years. Um, I run into Daniel Bachman. Oh, and yeah. He's playing in town and it's probably like his second or third time in town and I, I started booking him at different places in town and we were talking and somehow your name came up and he's like, Oh, she's my roommate. What <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was, was my roommate? I'm like, uh-huh. wait, what? Yeah. When roommate. did that happen? Was that <laughs> North Carolina? No, in Philly. Oh, in Philly. See, yeah. I, I, I think I was always thinking that was in like North Carolina and I'm like, when did you live in North Carolina? So wait, when did you live in Philly? Was this um, after Rochester? Yeah. That was- okay. And then after Rochester, I moved back to Vienna and I lived there for a couple years. And then I moved, my visa ran out and I moved to Philly in 2005 um, and was there until 2017. Oh, so, yeah. Long time in Philly, lived with Daniel. Our other roommate, Chris Wilson, is in um, Ted Leo and the Pharmacists um, and Titus Andronicus, I guess, too. And so the three of us had like a little you know, musical household. And I remember like Daniel would practice in the basement every day after work. He had a job like making furniture at some factory or something. And uh, he, he would come home and then he would go right to the basement and practice his guitar. And I was like, wow, that's such dedication to come home from like a pretty laborious job and then come home and practice, you know, 
Mm -hmm. Um, So I was very inspired by him and his practicing style, you know, and I could hear him getting better and better. So that was, that kind of gave me inspiration to actually practice. (laughs) 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 Um, I love living with Daniel and um, he's, he's a great player. Have you heard his new record? Do you have it? Uh, yeah, and I was just talking uh, on a radio show. Nah, I don't know. I was just talking to somebody about it. It's it, it's kind of mind blowing, like yeah. what he did. Um, you know, the switch. The you know, there's still, of course, the roots of his work in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he's weaving these field recordings and this kind of historical analysis of stuff into that record is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, he's not just doing like, hey, I'm the finger picking guy, and I'm like you know, Fahey's great grandkid or something. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm dying to have him back up in town at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also, you know, he was such, he was a kid when he moved in with me and when he was like dazzling us in Philly, you know, he was just like, you forget how young he was because he's such an old soul, you yeah. know? I mean, he he definitely has a mind that's older than he is i think and like you know knowledge about virginia folklore folk history or history and stuff like he's a really smart person and really cares a lot about historical stuff and in the south and Mm -hmm. you can you can tell that he's a wise young younger person yeah I think I think it was the second the first time he came to town he played um the bop shop mm-hmm. which I don't know if you remember a bop shop it used to be at the warehouse but then it moved to Brighton mm. um the the suburb I'm in and um it was like the middle of January February and he decides to go on tour mm-hmm. and it was him and I think it was Ian McComb oh yeah um right doing solo like drum with with kind of synth triggers and stuff and um i went to the show and i brought my daughter i'm like oh we got to go see this this guy uh he had the little npr tiny desk thing and that's how i learned about him and uh they showed up hours and hours late because it took him like it took him like 10 or 12 hours to drive from cleveland to here which should only take like four hours but you know of course this is a blizzard going through like buffalo yeah of course and then uh, the next time I met him, I booked him, you know, maybe not even a year later. And I, that's when I realized how young he was. I'm like, you're, yeah. you're way closer to my daughter's age than my age. <laughs> like way closer. How old is she? Uh, well, she's 19 now. I kind of think I met him when he was 19, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't think he was 21 yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know how many years ago that is, but um yeah he's been to town like probably five times now oh that's awesome it just you know blows people away when they see him even you know they you know a lot of people you know shows happen here and a lot of people might not know who they're going to see but they're like oh cool i'll go to bug jar or wherever pop shop and and then they're like blown away by this dude just killing it Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, where was that where did the switch happen for you when you decided you could play in kind of a band um a band role or setup yeah was that that was in philly or in philly i i had kept things pretty separate with harp i just didn't think that i could fit into any band situations really i didn't have my mind open like that um until i was in um 
Missouri and I had interned at Merge Records for a summer. And around then, like the following, like around then, um, that Arcade Fire record came out, the first, like the big one, mm -hmm. Funeral. And I went to go see them play um, in Missouri with a friend and at a tiny little club. And my friend and I started talking, um, talking to the bass player, Richard and the drummer, Jeremy, we started talking and we were like, yeah, we're moving to Philly in January. And they were like, oh, we're playing Philly in January. You should come, come to the show. We'll put you on the list. And, and uh, we start, I started telling them about how I played the harp and they're like, there's harp on our record. Why don't you sit in with us? And I'm like, I've never sat in with anybody before. You know, I never played harp in a band before. And they're like, it's okay. Like, we'll, we'll make sure you figure out the parts and, and you could sit in with us. And so in January, after I moved to Philly, it was like the first week that I moved to, I moved to Philly, they came to town and they played the TLA, which is a pretty big place. And it was sold out. And I brought my harp and I, I was very, very nervous, but they were so nice to me. And they're like, we want to bring out our good friend, Mary. Whoa, their friend. <laughs> and I'm playing with them on the stage, sold out show. And People were cheering for me and stuff. That's the first time anybody like clapped. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like a recital. And so, yeah, I think that's it. Just gave me uh, the confidence to start, um, you know, start playing, start writing parts. Yeah. And so also, like I, when I moved to Philly, I was reacquainted with Greg Weeks and Otto from Rochester and. Greg was in Espers, of course, but he was like putting together um, a project that was like, they were making, we were making an alternate soundtrack for Valerie and her Week of Wonders, that Check Me Wave film. It was like a 12 person orchestra he was putting together, like cellos and vocals and electric guitar and uh, synths and stuff. And he's like, Mary, I want you to play in this. And so we started writing this soundtrack together and then then performing it around the country in different movie theaters with the film. And that was kind of the first real experience with writing parts and playing in a band like that. And then, then I was, I got to know Kurt Vile and he and I became pretty tight and uh, I started writing parts for him. And then, you know, just on top of that, just like started playing in Philly with Philly musicians and, it went from there. Um, getting thrown on stage. <laughs> like, was that around the time they, they won a Grammy? Was it on that record? Maybe. Or maybe next yeah, one? Maybe. I, I sort of, that. you know, I knew that, I knew the band, they were a merge, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I sort of knew the name. I listened to it a little bit. It wasn't really my cup of tea, but you know, I'm like, yeah. that's cool. You know, merge was doing great stuff. And they played the bug jar. And I remember I, I was probably there that night. And I just like, that's a lot of people on stage. Yeah. And then like, I don't know, a month later, they're winning a Grammy. I'm like, that yeah. band just played the bug jar. Like, oh, <laughs> that's insane. Like, that's um, the size of venue I saw them in. And so I wasn't expecting, like, I'd never been to the TLA before. I just moved to Philly. I didn't know what size room it was going to be. <laughs> you know? Is that a theater type? I don't know if I've been there. I don't think so. Theater, but there's no, it's. The TLA Theater of Living Arts, I think it is. Um, and it's on South Street, but it it's like a theater with no seats in it. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if that's um, 
the American. I saw shows there years ago. That sounds like this kind of same place. Mm-hmm. I think back then it was like the Great American Music Hall or something like that. I don't know. But it was a big theater and it, it was, I think it even had sloped floor, but no seats. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably, I saw like Godspeed there and mm-hmm. Ganger and Bardo Pond maybe. Oh, cool. Oh, maybe yeah with groups uh with with collaborations that you do with like uh jeff ziegler mm-hmm. um is that is that stuff that you write or is it is it improv or is it kind of a mixture of both or yeah that's improvised except for that le revelator score that we made we made a score for a silent film called le revelator which is like a french 1965 philippe Gorel silent film that had never had music put to it. Um, and so we we made a score for it and performed it a couple places. And then the record came out on a thrill jockey. And that was, com- that was more composed. But as far as like stuff with me and Jeff or me and Mac, or Mac and I, and Jeff and I, it's, uh, it's all improvised. Yeah. Okay. And do you usually, you just kind of go and improvise and then pick what you like? Do you mm-hmm. do overdubs and stuff like that? Sometimes. Yeah, maybe yeah. a little bit. With the record, the Slant of Light record with Jeff, we did because we made it in a studio. But with Mac, it's been like, um, it's been live performance, improvisation, like, and then edited. Yeah. And how was that? Um, so I've had friends who were Eastman kids Eastman students, I call them mm-hmm. kids because they were kids when I knew them. And um, they had a hard time jumping from yeah. composed to improv. Yeah. Um, how was that for you? It was fucking hard. It was hard. And I still like, I know I struggle with it. There's a lot to unlearn, especially confidence wise. I think improvisation is like a lot about confidence and like trusting your, your voice, or, like trusting your instincts um and listening in a way that i didn't learn at eastman um you know i just a lot of a lot of what i learned at eastman was foundational and like technique and stuff but then also a lot i mean unfortunately a lot of what i learned was like you're not good you're not good enough you know like that kind of feeling you're like wrong no you're playing a wrong no you know things like that and so um it sounds like that my friends who have gone to art school and I'm like, well, I had friends who are photo majors at RET and it was just brutal, like brutal. And I, you know, yeah. It's hard, but also um, the way that I got to learn how to improvise kind of, or learn how to trust myself was, you know, in Philly, I was with Kurt and with other people, I was mainly composing the parts and then performing them or recording them. And I got pretty good at, writing like melody lines and things, uh, nice parts. But uh, then I went into the studio with Thurston Moore. He wanted to make a record together with Samara Lebelski on Mm -hmm. violin. And so the three of us went into the studio with Beck. And then, you know, Thurston is like master improviser. And so then he's like, okay, now we're gonna jam. I never jammed before, you know, I just written these nice parts, these like tasteful parts. And so, um, so then I was kind of thrown into it 
you know, like, oh, like jamming for fun. And, you know, Thurston is just like so joyful, like the, like the improvisation is so joyful. And when he says like, oh, that was great, then it makes you really understand that you did a good job with improvis improvisation. Like you, he and Bill Nace, like those and Samara, really gave me the confidence to improvise, like, you know, at, up until now, like when they told me that I was, you know, doing it very well naturally, like it gave me a real confidence boost. So I, I have to thank them all the time for that in my mind. <laughs> Do they like, I'm, I'm curious, like uh, say when he was like, oh, let's just jam. Uh, does he even throw out like, here's a key I'm going to play in. Like, I don't, you know, when I jam with other people, I don't know keys. So, yes. <laughs> so you know, I don't, I, I, don't, I just wing it. You know, I have to, I have to improv and play by ear because I don't have any other skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, I think I just listened to what he was doing okay. on the key and stuff or no key, you know, like his tuning's pretty wild. Uh, yeah. Um, right. Um, and then playing with Samara and Bill, like, before, after we made the record, but before we went on tour for the first time touring the record, uh, Thurston and Samara and Bill and I had a quartet kind of situation where we, we played some shows, uh, you know, just to see how we were together as an ensemble, you know, like if it would work live and it totally did. And I think that was also integral to my, um, improvisation confidence you know yeah so. was bill bill was living in philly at this point no he's in no was that he was in northampton oh he was okay for a bunch of years i never know where he lives yeah he's in <laughs> philly now yeah is he in philly now okay huh he just won the prestigious um pew fellowship yeah wow that's crazy it's huge yeah it's great he's such a good dude too i love yeah. him yeah he came to town I think the first time I ever saw him uh, was with him and Chris Corsano. It was mm. like Vampire Belt, probably. I mm -hmm. booked that. And I kind of knew Chris a little bit. I booked him at the art space I used to help run. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I was like, who's this guy? And then wow. the other Pango guys, I think, kind of knew him. Uh, so then he's been to town like a ton of times and he just hangs mm -hmm. out and stuff like that. Yeah. But good dude. Mm -hmm. um what do you uh what do you have i mean plans are weird now of course but uh what what do you have on the horizon um what well, what did you just do in new england was that playing or was that uh just vacation no that was um i got asked to my close friend juliana barwick and i both got asked to open the new james terrell sky space at mass mocha oh wow and so um we didn't play inside of the sky space but we played outside in the courtyard of mass mocha it was great like first first concert like ticketed concert that Juliana and I had both played um felt very much like a hurdle to get you know it's like okay we got through this one and we haven't lost our ability to play in front of people <laughs> or whatever and the crazy thing was like Terrell was there and so to play for him really was like something I wanted to do ever since I first learned of his work, like, I don't know, just as his light installations and his um, philosophies and stuff have been like a very, uh, something that I've admired for a really long time. And I've been to his sky spaces like all over the world. 
Um, and so to play the opening of, of the newest one that took 30 years to build was um, a highlight of my career, I think. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Pretty cool for that, that to be the first thing back from, you know, over a year of not doing it. Yeah, insane. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what what do you have uh, coming up? Do you have anything else planned or recordings planned? Well, you know, I, my record came out in October of last year and it came out during a pandemic. And that was like the record that you know, I traveled to England to make and stuff. And it felt like something that was a big, it was big for me to have to put that record out. But unfortunately it happened in a year of no touring or anything. And, um, and so I'm, I'm planning a tour in November and December to support that record. It um, sold pretty well for not touring on it, right? Yeah, it did. It sold well. Um, I do feel like, you know, it's, it sold out the first pressing and like there was an, a bunch of like lit, smaller, like colored vinyl pressings and stuff. It's very weird with vinyl right now, like with the backup and the, at the, the production backup and stuff. Yep. And I think like, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people, fortunately and unfortunately, a lot of people just consumed it through Spotify and stuff and like that, you know, unfortunately. You'll get your royalty check for 30 cents. Coming yeah, up. yeah. You know, especially in a year of no touring, I just really hate that that's the main medium Yeah. now. But um, so I'm a little bit crabby about that but at the same time thank you to everyone that bought the actual vinyl and you know the lp like i feel like the people that bought it and listened to it and liked it and like looked at the liner notes and the art and stuff like those are my people kind of yeah. so i really appreciate the fact that it was supported in that way and hope to see people um in a live setting so i can play them in person for everybody and at some point, I want Neil, like Neil has said, Neil Halstead, who produced it, he said that he wants to go on tour together, you know, so someday I hope that that will be real, the songs will be realized with Neil on stage. And mm -hmm. um, so that's a goal of, of this year and next year. I'm also scoring a couple of films, I'm scoring two documentaries, so digging in with that. Um, doing some, I'm doing a project with a choreographer in New York. Um, we're performing in the Greenwood Cemetery in July. Um, a, a piece that we're writing for harp and dancers. So that should be cool. And playing, man, I had this crazy um, idea where I really wanted to see Eno live at the Acropolis. So I just was like, I'm so sick of my being in my apartment. I'm gonna just buy this ticket to see Eno live <laughs> and see what happens. Like, when is that? It's August fourth, and so um, it's Brian and Roger live together at the Acropolis. And I bought a ticket, and I bought an extra ticket. So I invited a friend, and then my brother is a basketball coach, and he's coaching in. Thessaloniki in the summer and so he's gonna meet me there and then I also got somehow I just threw it out into the universe with my booking agent in Europe I was like 
I'm going to be there already at the Acropolis, August 4th. I wonder if you can get me a show while I'm there. Yeah. She did. And so August 3rd, I'm playing the National Observatory of, of Greece in Athens on a hill overlooking the city. Wow. Um, it's like a night when the planets align, I guess like Saturn align or something. And so it's like, there's going to be a major, like 60, there's 60 tickets and 60 people get to go and like view it through the giant telescope um, after the show. And so I think it's going to be very, very memorable and special. And um, the next night, you know, live at the Acropolis. So. I think that that's going to be really killer. Looking well, forward. Most people are looking forward to the, you know, opening of the pandemic and going to see maybe a show down the street. <laughs> and, and this is your plans. Like most people I talk to are like, what plans? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Everything's up in the air. I'm not really sure. And yeah. these are your plans. Yeah. yeah those just, are my plans. just a few small plans. No, but like, man, this past year and a half has been so depressing just in this stupid apartment with a yeah. cat. <laughs> Like, man, my whole, like, career and everything was pretty halted. And so um, I feel like, wow, okay, fine. It's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like um, we got through it when I'm finally there at the Acropolis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does, your brother just happens to be in Greece coaching basketball? Yeah. He, what? He, I don't know. He's, Are you guys Greek? No, not what? at all. <laughs> I guess they love basketball in Greece. It's yeah. Like a big thing. And so he got, a, he's done it once before. And um, so he is a, yeah, he just loves coaching basketball. So he figured out a way to coach in Greece and they love him there. And um, it's, he's not a big traveler. Like Greece is the only, Greece to coach basketball is the only place he's ever been outside of North Carolina, or like one time he went to Chicago, you know, <laughs> and then, um, yeah. So it's like you're, you know, the towns you went to outside of your hometown was Paris and Rochester, yeah. and, his, <laughs> and his is uh, Chicago and then Greece, he's hanging yeah. out. What are your plans for post-pandemic life? Dude, I don't know. Um, yeah, but uh, just, um, I'm going to be jamming tomorrow night with uh, my buddy Will Veter. Mm. And I don't know if you know Chris Reeg. That name sounds really familiar. Yeah. He was around back then too. And Mark Ferris, who's my the friend from Eastman. So we played together when he was in Eastman. And oh, then cool. he and then he went he left and went to grad school at Duke. Mm-hmm. After he got sick of Eastman and stopped, you know, he's like undergrad and he was done. And then mm-hmm. after a number of years, he's like, I really need to finish something. So he, he went to Duke for his PhD in composition. Uh, and then he taught for a while, but now he happened to move up to Ithaca mm-hmm. uh, like two years ago. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it'll be fun. We're going to jam tomorrow night. So fun mask or no mask. No mask. We're all vaccinated. We've been all vaccinated for a long time. So yeah. Pengo's been re- uh, practicing the last couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, and we, I mean, we have a really big space too. So it's like, we're already 20 feet apart from each other. So awesome. Yeah. No, what have, uh, <laughs> what have you been, is there, are there any records you're, you've been listening to uh, that you're psyched about? Um, what have I been listening to? I've been listening to the Daniel Bachman a lot. Um, Corey sent it to me recently. Um, 
I, of course, have been loving that Brandy Younger, Desron Douglas um, record uh, that they put out during the pandemic. What is that called? It's called Force Majeure. This, can you see it? Yeah, I can. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm not familiar they, with that at all. It's harp and bass. Oh. And, um, they they did like a. It's on international anthem, and they did uh, you know these lockdown sessions like on Instagram. You could tune in, and uh, you know they would just play from their apartment. Brandy Younger is like one of my favorite harpists ever, and she's she's jazz harp and. She improvises and Desron does too, and it, it just sounds so great together. And they uh, so the this is like a collection of of sessions that they did when they were locked in their apartment in in New York. So really loving the record; it's beautiful. Is that the label that put out the compilations, the uh, anthem compilations, or is that a different label? I think it might. Be oh, that might be Thompson Square that put out the. It's like something anthem. I thought it was called International Anthem, but I'm uh, really wrong. Yeah. There's like the series of compilations and they're great. Uh, what's his name? Riley Walker, like curated one a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. I don't uh, know. And then there's one that's like all old, like uh, pre-war stuff and then contemporary uh, and then like lost 70s stuff. Mm. Yeah, a different label. It might be, that might be Thompson Square that put that out, but it was like a different series, like oh, Southern cool. print. But Yeah. What else? I don't know. Um, Every time I ask people this question, they go, "Oh no!" <laughs> and you get stumped. It's Mark like issued some clean records that I've been listening to. I I'm waiting for my copies of those. Yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, they're they're somewhere lost in the mail right now. <laughs> yeah, but I'm dying for those. I think I have like a chunk of the songs probably from either you know because some of them are on the uh, anthology and stuff, but yeah. um. Yeah, I felt like I had to get those. Yeah. The new Meg Baird that will be coming out, she sent it to me because she's a close friend of mine. She, uh, she sent me the mastered versions of the songs. It's just beautiful. It's very beautiful. So keep solo? Going. Yeah, solo. On Drag yeah. City coming out, I think probably next year. On Drag City, you said? Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Nice. Stunning. I, yeah, I love her music. Is she in... Philly was she in Philly when you lived there right that's yeah, how you guys was. met and stuff right yeah we were close there and now she lives in San Francisco oh okay yeah. yeah I don't think I've ever met her there's like all those people that were in Philly that you know you guys knew in Otto mm-hmm. I always thought Otto lived there for years and he's like no nah, dude I lived, I lived there for like barely a year and then he went to oh. New York I sort of lost track of him when he moved like we would keep in touch and he'd send me notes and stuff uh but I I always thought he was in Philly for a long time Mm-hmm. he's like no it was only like a year and then he i don't know met a like, girl or something real quick what are your influences on on harp mm. and, and also when did you make sort of like when you made the jump to like improv when did you make the jump to using effects on a harp like was that natural or was that kind of like well everyone else in the band is doing that like it might be a good idea sort of yeah, yeah. both both uh, I was like, what would harp sound like through this thing? You yeah. know, um, after I, after my time with Thurston was done, like I toured with Thurston for a couple of years and then it was time for him to make a new record. And he didn't want harp on it. You know, 
have a heart record every time. So I had to figure out what to do after that. And I, I mean, I'm very addicted to traveling and touring and stuff. And so I was pretty sad after that time ended. And I was like, what am I going to do? Like now my dream has come true. I don't have any more dreams. Like, you know, I'm pretty dramatic about it. So that's when I made the first record. I just went into Jeff's studio and I just improvised the whole thing. And Jeff played synthesizer on it. Um, and that was the withdrawing room, that record. Mm -hmm. um, it was all just improvised in one day, just kind of like leaked out, you know. So that was sort of the beginning of me using pedals and um, trying to experiment with different sounds. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was a case where I was like, oh, I wonder what harp would, guitar sounds really cool through this. What would harp sound like? Yeah. Sort of yeah. And there's probably some that work and some that just don't like mm -hmm. distortion probably doesn't do anything. I don't know. I don't like, I don't like uh, effects that make it sound cartoony. Okay. You know, like yeah. Or something like that. Oh, oh, weird. Oh, yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like. Why know, have a harp? Right. <laughs> right. Like why lug that around when you're going to make it sound like uh, something out of a keyboard. Right. Yeah. Totally. Oh, it's great talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice to see you. Yeah, have a good trip if I don't talk to you before uh, okay. well, August. That's a while ago. But... Yeah. All right, cool. Take care.
welcome back. The track you just heard was uh, Mary Ladmore with Meg Baird. <clears throat> called Damaged Sunset from their uh, Ghost Forced LP on Three Lobed. I want to thank Mary again for doing the interview. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I had a great time talking to her. Like I said, it was a... Uh, been quite a while since we talked I'm going to play a few more Mary tracks and I'm also going to sneak in a Daniel Bachman track as well uh, Mary and uh, Daniel if you listened to the interview were roommates at one point in Philly so I'll probably end the show with a, a Daniel track I'm going to play pieces coming up from uh, Mary's uh, release Slant of Light with Jeff Ziegler and then uh, something from her brand new or latest record, uh, Silver Ladders, which we talked about a little bit. She's hopefully going to be able to tour on a little bit coming up. <clears throat> Stay tuned. Uh, in the next episode, I'm going to have an interview with uh, Bill Nace. It was great talking to him. I haven't seen him in a little while either. Um, so we sit down and talk about uh, you know early music that uh, he got into and how he kind of fell into the uh the western mass kind of scene and stuff like that and all the various people that uh he's played with and stuff so yeah it was really great talking to bill so uh uh, keep an eye out for that i'll probably make that the next episode but i might do a music only episode next we'll see (laughs) all right so let's get uh back to the music uh we're gonna listen to a track from uh mary and jeff ziegler and then uh solo mary and then daniel bachman the uh playlist will be in the show notes and up on myteethneedattention.com and you can uh, find all the various podcast links and uh, Patreon link up there if you feel like uh, supporting the show. All right, let's get back to music. Thanks again for listening and uh, we'll see you next time around. Thank you.
Yeah.